Are you ready for God's word? Amen, amen. You know, we've got a lot to cover, so I I pray that your heart is ready, ready for it. Uh, But I want to remind you that if you missed last week's message, you can catch up online uh, either at at our YouTube channel or uh, via our app. Now, last week, I had a lot of you, I mean, there, there was a lot of folks reaching out, saying how much you appreciated the message. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, go listen to it. I think, I think it'll bless your life. Um, it really, my message was designed to get us to think, really engage you theologically, philosophically, and to say, you know what, life and this life particularly points us to something, points us to sacrifice, and ultimately the, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ coming and dying for us, dying for us. And so we said just real briefly that we are fallen and we live in a fallen state. Now that's a, that's a word that Christians throw around a lot, but last week we read the verses that showed something changed when they ate of that fruit. Their eyes were opened in a bad way. How so? It changed their relationship with one another and ultimately with God. They, they knew what shame was. And for the first time, they realized they were naked. And they tried to cover up with fig leaves. Then they tried to cover up by jumping in the bushes. And then ultimately, they tried to cover up by blaming one another. And so something radically changed for us as humans. We're fallen. Fallen from what? Fallen from that, that amazing grace, that, that place of relationship with God. Where once they thought nothing of having closeness with the Lord, now they were running from the Lord, scared of him. Scared of him. So that fall, we said, requires sacrifice. We make things better in the future by sacrifice. And sacrifice means we have to have trust or faith. And faith brings us into relationship. And ultimately, what God is trying to help us understand is there's a better way to live. There's a a better way to live. And you have to trust the Lord for it. You have to trust. And so, with that in mind, I want to introduce today's message. Now, today's message is going to be really, really simple, and it's going to center around the topic of giving, giving, okay? And so, life is better lived when we are generous. So, giving is is also, uh, we're going to talk about living a giving lifestyle. So what I mean by that is, when, when, if we really want to live, we should live generously. Or we're going to talk about living generously. Come on, how many of us know that you can live generously or you can live selfishly? See, what I want to remind you of is this, is that, that we are called to be generous people. How so? Well, if you go back uh, and remember last week's message, we talked about Abraham and how Abraham steps into relationship with God by trusting the Lord. And when he trusted the Lord, they came into relationship 
And that relationship brought about a blessing. And God promises Abraham this. In Genesis chapter 12, read it with me. Watch this. I will make you what? Notice what God is saying. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And then I'm going to bless you on top of that blessing. Then I'm going to bless you for generations to come. But there's a very specific reason God wants to bless Abraham. Watch. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Notice, God wants to bless his children so that they can bless others. Can I put it to you this way? God wants to use you as a conduit. As a medium for blessing others. God wants to see, can I trust you with my blessing so that you can bless others? And this is how this works. As you trust God and he trusts you, you enter into relationship and you receive that blessing and you give it forward. Now, if there is no trust there, that means, Lord, I'm not sure if this blessing is going to continue Therefore, I'm going to do what I think is best, and that is to hoard it, grab onto it, hold it tightly, and refuse to let it go. Because I don't trust that you will continue to provide. And God says, the minute you do that, you stop the flow of the living spring. And it becomes a stagnant pool instead of a flowing stream. And God says, I want you to know that there's more. Uh Uh-oh. Come on. I don't think they're getting me over there. I want you to know that there's more from where that came from. I want you to know that all the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. There is no shortage in God's house. There is a great table, and you can come and have all you want. We got to get rid of that scarcity mindset. Can I tell you, that's what I grew up with because I grew up in a very poor house and my grandma, bless her soul, was always trying to make things last. I've told you about the Snickers. I didn't know there were peanuts in it because they'd cut it so small and my my piece was so small that I never got a peanut. You think that's crazy. I don't, you know how many grandkids and... Uncles and aunts and everybody's getting a piece of his. No, no, no. Can I tell you, come to God's table. There's plenty. There's plenty. You don't have to fight over it. You don't have to, but, but, but let's keep going. So Abraham, I want to bless you and I want you to bless others, but I need you to understand something. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. Now, do you realize we were born selfish? No, we were. We were born selfish. It's called, we were, we are born into that fallen state of Adam. The, the Bible and theologians say that we have an Adamic, Adamic nature, Adam-like nature. Meaning, and that doesn't mean just males. It means male and female, he created them. He created them to be mankind. And so all of mankind suffered the fall along with Adam. And that means we are selfish. Let me put it to you this way. How many of you had to teach your two-year-old to be selfish? 
Anyone had to teach your two-year-old, this is how you rip things from your brother and sister. This is how you defend what is yours. You scream and holler, stomp your foot and yell, mine, mine, mine. Anyone have to teach your two-year-old? No, you have to teach them the opposite. Why? Because it comes natural to them to be selfish. I believe the very first word that, that, that kids learn to speak is mine or I. They scream out, I want to be fed. I want to be held. I want to be changed. I want to be rocked. I, 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 because we are natural at it. We are born into selfishness. But can I tell you something? We are reborn generous. We are reborn generous. That's the truth. We're born this way when we come into this world, but when we come into Jesus, we are reborn in his likeness. In his likeness. Think about this with me for a second, guys. Think about this. This is why the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Come on. That he what? Gave. Say it again. For God so loved the world that he gave. Think about this. His one and only son. I love that song we sing. Where the verse says, Father of Jesus. Father of heaven. Bankrupted heaven. Father of Jesus. Bankrupted heaven, he gave his son away. I mean, if Jesus isn't in his heaven, what else do you have? He gave it all for you. That's what this verse is saying. That whosoever believes in him would trust him, would put their trust in him, would come into relationship and be reborn. Do you realize when he says this, he's talking to a man named what? Who's he talking to in chapter 3? Anyone. Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a, is a uh, he's a, an expert of the law. He's an expert. And he's asking Jesus these questions. Because Jesus comes and he's speaking with this shmika, this, this, this enlightenment, this, this revolutionary thing that you can be born again. And he says, how can I, I'm an adult, how can I re-enter into my mother's womb and be reborn? And Jesus says, you don't understand. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is you were born once as a man, as a woman, into Adam's nature. But I give you the chance to be reborn if you'd only trust the Lord. If you'd only trust the Lord. He's saying to be reborn in Christ's nature, generous For God so loved the world that he gave. See, born selfish, reborn generous. What does generosity do though? Why does God need us to be generous? Do you suppose that God uses that to finance his ministry? Is that the main reason? No, that's definitely one of the things he does. But does God need our money? Does God need us to give in order to accomplish his good work? 
Does God need you to be faithful in your giving just so that he can reach someone's life? Now, the Bible says all the cattle on a thousand hills are his. That he holds the seas in the palm of his hand. That the mountains, he gathered them together with his own hand and he formed them. And all of creation speaks of his majesty. It's his. It's his. He doesn't need our resources. In fact, he uses generosity to change us. He uses generosity to bring about that change. Because let's just be honest for a minute. We might be, re- we might be born selfish, reborn generous, but is this easy to go from this to this? Is it easy to learn to live generously? No, no. It'll take you a lifetime learning to become more and more like Christ. Come on, how many of us have figured that out? That right when we think we've got it, we don't. And so, Lord, I keep falling, but you keep showing me. You give me back up, and you teach me more, and you show me more. Because at the end of the day, God is using this this generosity, this giving to make us more like Christ. Now, I want to share a story with you, probably one of the stories in God's word where, where, I mean, generosity is just exemplified. And it's found in, in John chapter 12. Read with me. John chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Now, Bethany's a, a beautiful place. I don't have time to share all about it, but there was a very, very dear family to Jesus that lived there. Two sisters and a brother named Lazarus, who had been dead. Whom he had raised from the dead, right? There, they made him a supper. Mary, uh, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oils of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Can I tell you, when someone is generous, when someone is generous, when someone is generous, it fills and changes the atmosphere. It just makes the house smell great. Now, smell means aroma, means something pleasing. It means that there's an atmosphere of blessing in that home. How many of us want an atmosphere of blessing in our home? Be generous. Now watch what happens. It filled the entire place with that fragrant oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a what? Thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. He used to take what was put in it. Now watch, this is where, uh, what Jesus says. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for this specific day. And this day the Lord has moved in her heart because she is preparing me for my burial. Okay. We've got to teach on this. Notice what is going on here. You have two people 
the two main individuals. You have Mary and you have Judas. Notice how different they are. Mary doesn't think anything about how much it costs. How do we know how much it costs? How did we get that? It says 300 denarii. Who brought that up? Judas. Who's the one measuring? Judas. Is Mary measuring? No, because generosity doesn't measure. Generosity doesn't care. Now, let me ask you another question. Mary is being compelled. Could it be that she's grateful? Could it be that she's grateful? See, generosity comes from a heart of gratitude. What does she have to be grateful for? Well, Jesus saved her life. Jesus saved literally her brother's life and brought him back from the dead. How much would you give for your brother's life? How much would you pay? How much would you worship? How much would you bring? How much would you offer if someone near and dear to your life was, was brought back from the grave after four days miraculously by Jesus Christ? Would you care? And yet Judas is measuring and he's watching and he's being judgmental. And so he says, this could have been sold for 300 denarii. Now, a denarii is the plural form for denarius, and a denarius is one day's wage. And so if you have 300 days of wages, that's a year's worth of pay. Because you, if you take out holidays and Sabbaths, and you take out, you know, vacation and, and whatnot, that's, that's a, a year's worth of work, oh, 300 days. And so she gave, come on, is this generous? See, giving and living generously puts you in a place of peace, puts you in a place of joy. Is she stressed? Is she feeling like, oh, I might not have enough? Who's the one feeling stressed? Who's the one measuring? Who's the one judging? Who's the one saying, we could have given this to the poor? Well, why don't you give to the poor, Judas? <laughs> Mary's doing what God put on her heart, amen? God put this on her heart because God was preparing his son for burial. How much greater is that? Now, I need us to understand this, that, that we were born selfish, but we were reborn generous. That means it's, it's okay that we were once this way. It's not okay to continue this way. And you might say, but pastor, even now that I'm over here, I still have some of that creep back. Why do you think God uses these different mechanisms to teach us how to live like his son? And he uses our resources and our relationships. Come on, can you think of something more, more uh, beneficial to breaking our character down and rebuilding it in the likeness of his son than resources? You know, how to deal with resources and how to deal with relationships. Amen? Oh man, when we learn how to deal with one another, I've said nothing has changed me more like getting married. Oh, marriage will teach you how to be selfless. I can remember being so selfish when I first got married. And God is saying, God is saying, I want to see if I can trust you with more. And I want to see if you can trust me. See, the Bible says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 15, but I'm only going to read verse 10. 
You can read the entire passage, but watch what the Bible says. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And so God is saying here, I want to see if I can trust you and I want to see if you can trust me. Come on, I want to get in relationship with you. I want to be able to work with you and through you. Why did God want to bless Abraham? I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you above all else so that you might be a blessing to others. But also, Abraham, you're going to learn to trust me, and you're going to learn to let it flow through you. And as you learn to let it flow through you, you know that your provision comes from my hand. And when you know that my hand never fails, then you know you serve an awesome, great God. And when you serve an awesome, great God, you can stand secure and say, if God be for me, who can be against me? Who can be against me? You might say, oh, pastor, I see where we're going with this. This is a tithing message. Well, let me just tell you right up front, Pastor. I don't like when pastors start meddling. No, no, I'm not meddling. I'm telling you, Jesus spoke more about finances than he did about heaven and hell combined. Why? Because it's with our resources that he teaches us to walk in relationship. In relationship, every day, practically speaking, Lord, do I trust you? Do I trust you? Now, there's a book named The Giving Tree. Anyone ever read this book? Anyone ever read it to your children or have your parents read it to you? It was written by a man named Shel Silverstein. And Shel is a, po a poet. He's a writer. He's a songwriter. Did you know that? Do you know he wrote songs for both Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash? One of the songs he wrote for Johnny Cash is a boy named Sue. I thought that was interesting. Well, this book is amazing because this book talks about a little boy and his relationship with a tree. And at first, when he's a little boy, he runs and he plays with the tree's leaves. He climbs up on the tree, swings on the branches, eats the apples, and spends time with this tree. But after some time, the little boy goes away because he grows up. And so, as time went by, I'm going to skip towards the end, he comes back to the tree. And the tree says something like this. It says, I've missed you. Where have you been? Then one day the, the boy came to the tree and the tree said, come boy. Come boy, come and climb up my trunk, swing on my branches, eat the apples. Let's play in the shade together and be happy. I'm too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I need some money. I'd want some money. I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy. Sell them in the city. Then you will have money, and you can be happy, and you will be happy. 
So he grabs all the apples. He takes them to the city. He sells them. But he's not happy. And the tree was happy. So then some time goes by. He comes back, says, I need a house. I'm getting married. I'm, I'm moving on in my life. I'm not happy. I need lumber to build the house. Well, take my branches, build you a house. He builds this. He takes the branches, comes back sometime later. I'm still not happy. I need a boat. Take my trunk. Build you a boat. Build you what you need to be happy, right? Now watch. At the very end, he comes and he says, after a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. The boy says, my teeth are too weak for apples. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I am too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. I'm so sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down. Sit and rest. And the boy did. So he's sitting there. And the tree was happy. What I found interesting about this book is the tree was always happy in giving. The boy was never happy in receiving. No matter what he got, he never was happy. Can I tell you, when you live the world's way, it leaves you wanting more and more and more and more. But when you live generously, then you really live. You connect with the Father. You enter into relationship. And you can find peace and real joy real joy. Now, I'm not putting this on par with scripture, but I am telling you that even the world has picked up on the idea that there is a better way to live, and it's generously, not selfishly. It's generously, amen? We're called to give to one another. We're called, you might say, well, pastor, if I'm looking at that story that Jesus uh, 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 about Jesus at Bethany between Mary and Lazarus and Martha and Judas. I, I may be bad, but I'm no Judas. I'm no Judas. I, I'm definitely more on my way to be a Mary, and I would say, absolutely, I believe that. But let's not go so quickly, because it's easy to skim over that story and to say, well, I'm not Judas. I would never steal. I would never take from God's offering plate. But can I tell you something? The Bible says very plainly that 10% of what he gives you is his. Period. When you don't give that, the Bible says you've taken it. You say, Pastor, why are you telling me this? I'm telling you this because I was asking the Lord, Lord, how do I help 
your people connect with real love. And I felt in my prayer time, my fasting time, the Lord said, have them connect with me in relationship. I said, okay, well, what is relationship, Lord? And then I felt the Lord, as I'm reading through my word and spending time praying, I felt them, you know, impressing, they got to trust me. So how do you, how do we trust you, Lord? He said, oh, every day with the way you handle what I give you, resources and relationships, resources and relationships. And then I thought, wow, Lord, you are so right. I can remember being a young man and I didn't understand the power of trusting you with my tithe. But now that I give and I give freely, God, I've seen your blessing in my life. Can I tell you, this is beyond the church. The church has been growing and whatnot, and, and we haven't needed an increase in the last three years. We got one, we were grateful for it, but we haven't needed one, even with inflation happening, because God has increased our finances outside the church. Things are coming to me. People saying, I'd, I'd love your advice. I'd love this. I'd, I, I want you to invest here. I want you to invest there. And everything I, I, I put my hands to is just blessed by the Lord. I don't say that to impress you. I say to impress upon you. When you enter into a love, trusting relationship with God, he is a good, magnificent, awesome God. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, the more you bless me, the more I want to bless others. And I told him openly, God, I pray you bless me so profoundly that I can plant churches and start them with, with the money we give. I want to start churches. Churches that I may never preach in, but, but God's gospel will go forward. Amen? Lord, I want to do something great for your kingdom. You're returning soon, Lord. Oh, God, trust me with something. Now, let me ask you something. Why do you suppose Jesus let Judas in charge of the money box? You think he was trying to condemn him? Every time you see Jesus act, he's acting in love, right? Perfect love. So what was his purpose? If he was loving Judas, he was saying, Judas, I'm trying to teach you to what? Trust me, I'm trying to teach you to live in peace. I'm trying to teach you to live like Mary and not to be there judging her and measuring it and letting all your peace be robbed by the enemy. And it would be money that would motivate him ultimately to betray Jesus. See, God is saying, I want to see if I can trust you. But more importantly, I want to see that you can trust me. Come on, is there someone here who says, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to trust you for greater tomorrows. Amen. I believe you. Some of you are saying, Pastor, you're just one of those. Yeah, that's why I never preach on this. I try to stay away from it because people say, oh, you're just one of those pastors. But then I'm convicted when God is blessing me and he says, why don't you tell the people I want to bless them too? Why don't you share my truth? Because my truth is powerful. How many of us know that? Amen? And so I want to share one last thing. We're called to not just be faithful with our resources, but be faithful with our relationships. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, right, that you present yourself 
as a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then here comes verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. He's talking about the family now. And watch what he says about the family of God. So we, though many, we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. Now he's saying, hey, we all excel in different things. But does this mean, hey, I don't have the gift of generosity, then I don't have to... I don't have to give to faith. I don't have to have faith. No, we're all called to be generous. But some of you are called to be extra generous. And that means God's going to bless you extra like he did Abraham. Oh, is there anyone here going, man, Lord, I'd love to be that guy. I'd love to be that woman. But, but, but watch. Here we go. The one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent. Constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give though a Oh, oh, yeah, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, as far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Bless his word, amen. You know what Jesus, what, what God is doing there? He's saying, for 11 chapters in the book of Romans, I've been telling you what salvation is all about. You were born like Adam, but you were reborn in Christ. With what, by one man, sin entered into the world, but by another man, the man Jesus Christ, salvation came. And then he hits you with the so what? So now that you know theologically what it means, live it this way. Live it generously. Live it by giving to others. Live it by caring for others. Live it by being a blessing with your words. Oh man, this is hard for me. Because when I, when I first married Melissa, I was a selfish little punk. And I tell her all the time now, baby, thank you for not leaving me. Not just dropping me on my tail and just saying I'm out of here. 
but caring enough to stick it out. And now I owe her, I owe her three lifetimes. I mean, she, and, and, and God uses our relationships to make us more like him, to make us more like him. And, and I'm just like, Lord, I, I don't want to be selfish always for me, for me, for me. I want to learn how to give freely. I've received from you, Lord. Now freely, I want to give. I want to give to my children. I want to give to my wife. I want to give to you. I want to bless you. My 30-somethings, I'm constantly praying for you like you wouldn't believe. And there is power when a man of God, you, when a woman of God, you, start to have that relationship and trust with God. And then you speak over your relationships in generosity. And generosity, not being silly and backbiting and catty and all of that little nonsense of comparing and, and competing, but instead really wanting the best for each other. Can I tell you that your words matter and your words will lead into actions. And so be generous with your encouragement. Can I tell you every living thing responds to it? Because we were created in God's likeness and God spoke and there was life. God breathed breath and there was life. We can speak and breathe life into things. Now you say, oh, pastor, be careful. You're trying to say we're, we can be like God. No, no. But I know that encouragement means something. And so I'm asking you to be an encourager. I'm asking you to, to consider this thought with me. So we moved out of our old house uh, three years ago, and we sold it, a beautiful property. There, we had an acre in Tahitian Village, like uh, I think it was off of number 12. I never played golf, so my front neighbors were on, on the golf course, and they had a view, and we were off the golf course. We had this beautiful lot, and when I first went to buy it, um, the lady who had it, I had, to, I had to send her a letter, and she called me back, and I talked to her, and she said, that was going to be my husband and I's dream home, but the Lord called him home. I said, I'm so sorry, ma'am. And she said, well, tell me about yourself, and I had been praying about this, and I had been saying, Lord, I need your favor, I need your favor, and so the Lord says, um, tell her who you are. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm a pastor. She said, you are. She said, where'd you go to school? I said, Baylor University. She says, a good Baptist boy. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm in. I'm in. She said, a good Baptist boy. She says, tell me more. Do you have a child? I said, I have a little girl. She's about two. Or, and, 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 and she says, oh, this is what I ask. Put a little swing. We were going to put a swing on the big oak tree right there in front for our grandchildren. Would you put a swing for your... So I put that swing out there, and then I, I noticed the trees were beginning to die, one of them particularly. So I went out there, and I put my hands on those trees, and I began to pray for the trees. And I put my hands on every one of the oak trees and every one of the pine trees and every one of the trees. And I began to pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing over this tree. And I pray a blessing over this home and this property. I want you to know, tree, that you are strong and mighty and I appreciate you. And you will live and not die by the word of Jesus Christ. And I just went charismatic. I went way beyond Baptist, you know. And... <laughs> And, and I, just, I just went for it and blessed those trees, and I didn't lose one. In 20 years, I didn't lose one. We drive up there, 
because they had some mail for us. And I look, and it's like a bomb went off. Every tree was dead. The tree with the swing, gone. The tree right in front, gone. The pine tree's gone. gone. I mean, I'm going, dude, what'd you do? He said, I didn't do anything. As soon as we moved in, they just started dying. He goes, wow, you never lost any? I said, I never lost a one. He goes, what was your secret? I said, I prayed over him. He laughed. Yeah, just like that. And I said, no, pray. Come on, how many of you know that, that, that you say, oh, pastor, I'm not going to. Well, guess what? That didn't even compare to what I believe can happen when I speak over my family. Doesn't even compare what I believe I can speak over you. And I pray a blessing over your family. That you will, you will overcome in Jesus' name. Amen. So you want, to sh- you want me to tell you about, about the last time that God really showed me the power of trusting him and proclaiming a blessing? I have these plants in my home, and this is one particular plant. And I don't know if you guys know anything about plants, but this is called a Dracaria, Dracaena fragrance. And it's a gorgeous plant, and you see the little white buds? Those are flowers. I had no idea it did this, and so I've been caring for it, and it started wilting and having trouble. And so why am I telling you this? Because I'm wanting you, you to see that when we walk in the blessing of the Lord, you cannot only just pray over plants. <laughs> I want you to pray over each other. But, but let me demonstrate it with this plant, because this is pretty cool. So the plant starts wilting and having trouble, Thomas, and I start praying over it. And I just go over and I just start speaking over it, saying how much I love it, how much she brings me joy, and how this is just such, it it just, our room is better because you're here. And I was saying that, you know, to it. And you might be thinking I'm crazy, but this plant starts blooming a month later like, like nuts. Filled the entire house with fragrance. I mean, it was so strong. I was having trouble sleeping. It just was blooming and blooming and blooming. So my wife, and, and, and I won't tell you the bad part of it, but, but, but my wife, she starts looking it up and finds out these plants take 10 years to bloom. I've only had it for two. And many times they never bloom unless they're in perfect conditions outside. And I have it inside. And you say, what does this matter to me? What, what do I care about plants? You care about each other. Speak blessings over each other. But if you don't trust God, then you're not going to trust that God will, God will work through you. And this is what the whole point of this message is. You have been given new life. You are a son and daughter of the most high God. And God wants to use you and work through you and begin to walk in faithfulness that everywhere you go, you might bless the earth because a child of God just walked in the room. Just walked in the room. Be a blessing this week. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. I love you, church, with all my heart. And if you walk out of here and say, Pastor, you've been nutty talking about plants, then you missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. Would you take your communion? And as you grab the communion cup, would you just spend some time with the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, speak to me. 
And help me realize, Lord, what you're doing in my life. Help me, Lord, to trust you that I may walk as a blessing, God, in my relationships, that I may be a good steward of my resources. And God, that that I would show myself faithful in my resources, that you would trust me with more, Lord, to steward over more. Amen. Father, we know that relationship is made possible by the greatest act of generosity, and that's the giving of your son. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood that was shed. We celebrate and with one voice say, thank you. To you be the glory, my Lord. Amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.